0: morning. Thank you, worship team. I can't sing It Is Well without just imagining that sight when the the trump sounds and the Lord descends. What What an image. And truly, thinking about that, we can all say It Is Well in the midst of life. With that said, good morning again. That's in my manuscript, so I have to say it to get on the flow. And I always have in here, in brackets, pleasantries, because I look around and I never know what I'm going to see. So I could see we're all smiling. So it's nice to see your warm smiles. It's the 9 a.m. service. I'm not normally here. I'm one of those people filling up the 11. But this time, whenever I'm preaching at 9 a.m., I'm always a bit tired because I get used to the 11. But this morning, I had this great idea. I woke up an hour earlier. That might sound strange. Early, that tired. I had my coffee earlier, so now I'm actually I'm feeling really good. So you could probably tell that might come out in my sermon, I might get off script, I might lose my train of thought, but God is good, I'm sure his word will come out. Anyway, let's get to it. So, this morning, I want to start by making a claim. I want to get us thinking a little bit here. So, my claim this morning, just think about it, your words are powerful. That might not sound too controversial, but I want you to really hear what I'm saying. I'm not saying that words are powerful. What I'm saying is, your words are powerful. You individual, I'm looking at all of you, sitting here today, everyday, normal, ordinary person, your words are powerful. With that clarification, my claim now might sound a little bit overblown. Sitting here today, you might be thinking, well, okay, my words are great, but they're not powerful. I'm not a big-time politician, I'm not a, a CEO of a mega corporation, and probably, maybe some of you are, but you're probably not some superstar influencer on Instagram or TikTok with millions and millions of followers. You're probably not one of those people, but even if you are, even if you're not, the claim remains the same. Your words are powerful, dangerously so. To defend that claim, to explain it a little bit, I want us to think back to World War II. My undergrad's in history, I'm making the most of it. So just imagine with me, back to World War II. You might not be a history buff, that's totally fine. You might have seen a movie or read a book or remember it from high school history, but just imagine some general principles with me. World War II, whose words, think about it, do you think were powerful? Whose words, back in World War II, do you think make a dramatic difference? If you are that history buff, if you've seen quite a few movies, you might be thinking of specific people or events. You might be thinking about Hitler's tirade at the Nuremberg rally. Or you might be thinking about Winston Churchill's famous speech before Parliament. We shall fight them on the beaches. Or if you've seen some other movies, you might be thinking of Stalin's famous order 227, which was not a step back. These were the words that rallied armies, they mobilized nations, they led to the deaths of thousands upon tens of thousands of civilian and military personnel. These were dangerously powerful words. But during World War II, the same leaders, their same governments, actually undertook massive, truly massive propaganda campaigns to educate the public to inform regular people, regular citizens, that their words were powerful too. Their words mattered as well. The words, the talk, the conversations of everyday normal people were incredibly powerful. To get to that, you might have heard the saying before, loose lips sink ships. While that probably sounds familiar, I asked a few people if they heard it before. Everyone said yes, so you might have heard it, loose lips sink ships, while that Again, probably sounds a bit familiar, I'm guessing not many of you have Googled what was behind that phrase, where did it actually come from. You might have an idea, but I actually went on Wikipedia, I read the full article, and it's pretty interesting. The origin of that phrase, loose lips sink ships, was actually a slogan pushed and popularized by the United States Office of War Information. The reality is the U.S. government recognized that ordinary conversations between normal people could have massive ramifications. The words of everyday citizens could lead to the deaths of thousands. How's that? You probably got an idea here. Historians, though, actually have two theories behind it. On the one hand, this phrase, this slogan, might have been a response to espionage. Perhaps there was a major fear that sailors boasting about their deployments, mothers chatting about their son's stations, or friends swapping war stories could be picked up by Axis spies. That one careless mention of a ship where it was or where it was going could be heard by enemy agents sent back to their generals and result in a submarine being sent to destroy an unexpected ship. Loose lips, careless words from ordinary people could sink ships, leading to the deaths of thousands. On the other hand, some historians look at this phrase, think about it a bit more abstractly. The idea that loose lips sink ships to these historians as they look back, they believe it was more about combating the dangerous power of rumors and doubts. The idea that lies or pessimistic words could damage the entire war effort by creating dissension or negative feelings among communities. Communities which needed to come together to supply and support the war effort. Either way we take it, more literally or more abstractly, here's what we're getting at. My claim, backed by the United States Office of War Information itself, is that the words of ordinary people matter. What you say can make a big difference. Your words are dangerously powerful. That's a theme, this idea we just got at, a truth even, that our text picked up on thousands of years ago. Over the past few weeks, if you've been at Grace, you know that we've been traveling through the book of James, discussing and addressing the issue of how Christians, us here sitting today, are often known for our political stances or our unique beliefs, as opposed to the character we should possess or our faithfulness as followers of Jesus Christ. Just from articulating that as a problem we have to address through a sermon series, that an issue that we must confront, I think we can recognize how the issue of our words plays a fundamental role in this. As we think about our lives as Christians, our lives as people made in God's image, we need to recognize that our words matter. Our words are powerful, dangerously so. In this world, in this culture, which is Frankly, utterly confused about words, what they mean, and what power they hold, Christians need to be 100% clear. We need to recognize the power of our words, the potential they have in bringing blessing, the danger they present in ushering destruction, and the nature they bear in revealing and testifying to our character, our priorities, and our identity. The reality our text today presents and unpacks is that Christians don't just need to walk the walk. We often focus on that. That's important. But equally important is taking that step back. We also need to talk about talking the talk. So today we're going to learn why and how that is. So I encourage you, if you have your Bible, if you have your phone, or the Bible in front of you in the chair, follow with me. We're in James 3, verses 1 to 12. And today we'll discover the power of our words. And along the way as we do that... We'll address how Christians might recognize this power so that our words, given how powerful they are, might bring truth and blessing rather than lies and destruction. So I'm going to read the full text. Follow with me. James 3, 1 to 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brother, brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, for we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits in the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. So, there's definitely a lot going on in this text. Lots of teachings, lots of theology, but I think you all heard it, lots of illustrations. But as we dive in, I want to start with a point of clarification. This text that we just read, is for you. Reading that first verse, especially that warning that not many of you should become teachers, might have some of you thinking, well, yeah, I didn't want to become an elder anyway. I have no interest in preaching or standing up here as a, a Christian teacher. I guess this passage and this sermon isn't for me. While I can understand the impulse, I, I ask you, please bear with me as I break it down. While James might start by explicitly warning, you could think James warning younger men perhaps, cautioning potential preachers not to recklessly take on teaching roles in the church, this, I assure you, is a passage for everyone. Reading the entire section, I just read it out, you just followed along, We know what follows this opening line. Based on our text, and realistically, you heard it, based on my intro, we know that a big concern in our passage today is the power, the dangerous power of words. So, looking at verse 1 now, and the first part of verse 2, it makes sense when speaking about church life and ministry, when potential pastors and elders come up in the church, James focuses on the side of their job which is about teaching, those who teach. He's focusing on the verbal proclamation side of church ministry. The time when pastor's words carry the most power and influence, when their words can make the biggest difference, proclaiming God's truth from the Bible as a teacher. So what is James saying to potential teachers? He's Telling them not to be too hasty. As Christian teachers, as pastors, their job, which is James's job as well, is to boldly proclaim the truth. And since, quite literally and directly, souls are at stake when it comes to church leaders' teaching, God will hold them to a higher standard. They will be judged with greater strictness. This is a call to think carefully. To be aware of the power of words. The reality is false speech, not speaking truthfully or righteously, is a common and easy sin to fall into. This is a powerful warning and James gets quite personal about it. He says that we all stumble into it. So James gives that warning to teachers and realistically, as you can imagine me standing here, this is a warning I hear quite loudly I'm not feeling too nervous right now, which is a surprise, but preparing the sermon I was reading this, I was, ooh, that's kind of scary. But it's a big warning because it's a big task. The call to stand here and accurately explain and present the word of God. So, that's the warning. Words are powerful, especially the words of those standing behind a pulpit. Here, literally on a platform, taking the responsibility to preach the word of God accurately. But what does this warning from James teach all of us? This warning, while holding Christian teachers in particular focus, is instruction, actually, to every and all Christians. I believe from this opening line, when understood contextually, we can actually deduce three points which are applicable to everyone, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. So let's break it down. The first point. God is deeply concerned with people's words. While again, as it notes in the introduction, this carries a special weight for preachers, given the nature of their role, the premise remains the same for everyone. God cares about your words. Not only what we do, but what we say matters to God. That fits well with Jesus' statement in Matthew 12, 36. At the day of judgment, God will not only judge our deeds, but quote, listen well, People will give an account for every careless word they speak. Jesus said that. God is deeply concerned with people's words. Building on that, the second general teaching we can deduce from our introduction is this. Number two, false speech is a common but significant sin. I think realistically speaking as a Christian to Christians, a trap that we often fall into is thinking that our words actually don't really matter. After all, what are the big sins? We think of killing. We think of stealing. We think of cheating people out of their fortunes. Those are the big sins. But what about lying? What about taking the Lord's name in vain? We often think those are just words. We can just repent. It's not that bad. But I want you to get a load of this. In Proverbs 6, Proverbs, the book of biblical wisdom, we learn this. This is a quote from Proverbs 6. There are six things that the Lord hates. What are they, quoting from the text? Number one, haughty eyes. Number two, a lying tongue. Number three, hands that shed innocent blood. Number four, a heart that devises wicked plans. Number five, feet that make haste to run to evil. Number six, a false witness who breathes out lies. On a list of six things that the Lord God hates... Lying, false speech, gets a double mention alongside the murder of innocence. God cares about our words. And the common, easy-to-fall-into-sin of false speech, ungodly words, wicked words, is especially heinous and detestable in God's sight. Why is that? One initial reason that might come to your minds might be, again, to look to Matthew 12, Jesus' teaching, quote, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. False speech is a sign of a false heart. Wicked words are a sign of a wicked heart. But I think the reason our text this morning has in mind, there could be multiple reasons, is this. The reason why God cares about people's words the reason why false speech, despite being easy to fall into, is such a significant sin is because, and this is our third point, our words can powerfully affect others. Of course, Christian teachers will get judged more strictly. They are on a unique platform, an especially pious and authoritative platform, a platform which can directly influence the spiritual destiny of people from the words they, could, the words they say. But the reality is, and we all need to be aware of this, is that we as Christians, all Christians, every Christian has a platform. As Christians, we all stand on platforms from which our words will influence the spiritual state of those around us. Are you a parent? Your words will influence your children. Are you a spouse? Your words will influence your husband or wife. Are you a friend or a coworker? Your words will influence your social circles. With our words, we all stand on platforms, probably several platforms, some larger, some smaller, some more direct, some more indirect, and God, on all of them, cares about what we say. False or unrighteous speech is a significant concern because our words will affect others if we tarnish God's name, if we hinder people in coming to know and embrace the truth, if we promote hate and discord, we will give an account for them on the day of judgment. Again, that's especially true for Christian teachers, but it's true for everyone else as well. So a question I think we have to ask ourselves, and this is hard is, have you carelessly affirmed the lies of our world? Have you failed to speak truthfully because of fear? Have you failed to represent God well by speaking unrighteously? As you think about that, know that God cares. Know that he's watching. So that was a longer first point. That was a heavy first point, but I needed to set the stage. I'll show my hand a bit here. As I read through commentaries preparing for this sermon, they gave a warning to preachers. They said, just be aware this text is one of those hard ones. This text, if not careful, will leave people feeling especially beat up, especially bruised as they think about all the words they said. So, recognizing that some of you might now be thinking about the words you've said, the ways you've failed, and feeling down about that. And while I think that's appropriate on some levels, again, I encourage you, please stick with me. As we dig in, there's a lot of hope in our passage. So, for the rest of the sermon, we're about halfway in already, don't worry. I'm going to try to honor the spirit of the text. And that means, truly means, providing both a sense of conviction. We have to embrace the tension, but also a sense of encouragement. We have to embrace the hope. So, please stick with me. Get ready for both of those things. As we dive into the rest of the sermon, let me briefly recap God cares about our words. Misusing words is an easy but significant sin to stumble into, and that's because we all have platforms. We need to be aware we all have platforms. So, as we started this sermon, words are powerful. The words of ordinary people can make a difference. From our platforms, from our places of influence, words are a powerful aspect of our person and potential. So now, let's break it down. Let's talk about two directions we can head down with our powerful words. So firstly, some encouragement. I want to encourage you from our platforms in our social circles, our circles of influence, our words can bring great blessing. Our words, your words, individuals sitting here, have amazing, powerful potential to bring great blessings to those around us. So how is that? First things first, some theology. I want us to recognize that righteous speech is a mark of Christian maturity. So I encourage you to look at the rest of verse 2 in our text. James says this, I'll read it out. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James has already said and recognized that him included, we all stumble. But what he goes on to clarify here is quite insightful. If someone were to not stumble in what they said, if someone were to never slip into false or wicked speech, if someone had perfectly righteous, honest, and godly words to say all the time, they would truly be the perfect person as a whole. What we can logically conclude from that, in line with what Jesus teaches about the tongue's connection to the heart, is that if someone is mature and godly in their speech that corresponds to them being a mature and godly person as a whole. While everyone stumbles, if a person's default, if their consistent pattern is honesty, clean and pure words, speech shaped by uh, sound knowledge and biblical wisdom, that is a direct indication of their spiritual maturity and health. And that's really good news for us. That's actually one of the biggest encouragements we can hear. Many of, you, many of you sitting here today are probably thinking things like this. I know I am. I'm thinking, I want to be a better Christian. I want to honor God more consistently with my life. Or, I want to make a positive difference in this world and be a blessing to others. Our text, in response to these thoughts, in response to these issues, gives us an easy, simple-to-apply, straightforward instruction. This is one of those easy ones. It's a low ball. Simply... Be intentional with your words. Be intentional about what you say. If you want to grow as a Christian, if you want to mature spiritually, one easy but effective step to take is taming your tongue. Being intentional about saying righteous, honest, and godly things. As I say that, it might sound easy, but I want to be clear I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying, and the Bible isn't teaching, that everyone needs to quit their job and become an evangelist. This isn't a call to exclusively quote the Bible or the hymns every time you speak. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what the Bible says. Rather, the call is, in your normal everyday life, in your normal everyday relationships, from your platforms, whatever they might be, speak words that are truthful. Speak words that are beneficial. Speak words which are shaped by respect for God and his creation. Be intentional about this. Rather than a mocking response, speak words of patience. Rather than being passive-aggressive, be honest. God finds it pleasing. Why? Because godly words evidence Christian maturity, but also, amazingly, they actually contribute to Christian maturity. So right now, I encourage you, look at verses 3 and 4. James gives two vivid illustrations to make this point very clear. Just like a bit in a horse's mouth, how it guides its whole body, just like how a tiny rudder steers a whole ship, our tongues, our words, our speech directs our entire lives. This is amazing saying righteous and godly things, being intentional about honoring God with your words, and this, doing those things, will lead you holistically to being a more mature, committed Christian. As James says in verse 5, the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. And this is not only true for our own growth, this is true for those around you. As a guiding element in your life, righteous words can bring massive blessings for those around you. Consistent righteous speech will positively influence the people around you. Sitting and standing here this morning, I think most of us here know that. I think if you've been around grace, if you've been around a lot of the people here, you know that righteous words, just good things that are God-honoring, saying those things can powerfully influence the people around you. I can, of course, standing here, testify to this. Just this past week, as I was preparing this sermon, which was already quite difficult, a friend of mine, a young man in his early 20s, suddenly died. I was, and I still am, heartbroken. But this sermon, believe it or not, still had to be prepared. I still had to get ready to preach it. I I lost a day when I heard the news, and I was scrambling to get it done. But, as we sang this morning, God is good, Christ is a good shepherd. And as I think back, and as I was preparing this sermon, and I was looking for God's help and reflecting on what God used to get me through those few days, I think back and I realized, and I wrote this yesterday, after I shared the news with my prayer group, several members, brothers and sisters, sitting here right this morning, I see you, Ishan, they reached out to comfort and encourage me. A small text of prayerful support, just even a small emoji reflecting that they were praying for me, were the massive blessings I needed to get through the week. I'm sure many of you know that feeling and can testify to this as well. A few words can make a massive difference. A small note of God honoring words can bring great blessing. So I encourage you be intentional. God uses righteous words to bring great blessings. God uses righteous words to change us spiritually, to sanctify us, but also to be a blessing to those around us. Be intentional. But now the hard stuff. And I wasn't planning on tearing up, so this is going to be a bit difficult. So, inversely, be wise. There is a flip side to all of this. Just as our words can bring great blessings... Our words, false and wicked words, can cause great destruction. To get at this point, James introduces the illustration of fire. While our tongue as a small member can steer a person to godliness, can direct a person to righteousness, the tongue can do the opposite as well. Look at verse 5, the rest of it. It's like a small spark that can start a massive forest fire. This is a great illustration about the dangerous power of careless words. This is the exact idea, in fact, behind loose lips sink ships. And this is something I know that we all see in our lives. I'm not uh, trying to make a a big deal about this, but as I was thinking about where I've seen this most in uh, in my life anyway, is I want you to just think, husbands, I'm speaking to you, does this feel like a regular experience? How many times a week does your wife ask you a very simple question and you just fumble the ball? I don't want to put my dad on blast or expose him in any way, so I will spare you specific examples, but I think many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But to get the attention off my dad, let me talk about kids. So I'm a kid. I grew up a kid. I knew I know all of you. If you're sitting here, you were a kid at one point, so this should be relatable to everyone here. How many times do your parents have they or do they say something and then just some back talk slips out? You instantly regret it. You know you shouldn't say it. But for some reason, in that moment, you just can't help yourself. One example I heard a bit too recently for my liking is, Christian, you didn't make your bed this morning. How easily, and I'm thinking about especially my teenage years, how easily does it slip out? Well, I'm just going to sleep in it tonight anyway. What's the big deal? (laughs) Oops. I don't know why. It just slips out. But maybe, that's one example, maybe this is something that happens at work for you. Someone comes with a really stupid question. Someone comes with a pointless critique. And what happens? Perhaps in that moment, you respond a bit too honestly about how you're feeling. What follows? What could have been a minor correction or a very quick but maybe annoying conversation turns into a visit from HR. Careless words are like sparks that can set forest fires. If only we were wiser with our words, we could deflect from conflict and perhaps even bring blessing. But, as James says, and I want to keep saying it, we all stumble. When a soft answer could have turned away wrath, We offer careless words, harsh words, that stir up anger. But our text here is talking about more than just careless words. They're definitely an issue, but it's only one aspect of the words that can bring destruction. There's also the interconnected issue of ungodly words. Just as using righteous speech can direct a person to sanctification, we just covered that. That's a great thing to hear. The reality is, unrighteous words, ungodly speech can direct a person to wickedness. Look at verses 6 to 8. Here we have a true sense of the extreme danger our words can bring, not only to others, but also ourselves. Let me read it out. This is powerful, scary powerful. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of our life. And set on fire... By hell, for every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. That is a vivid illustration about the tongue. But just to think about it a bit, in this sermon series, as I already mentioned, but it's worth reflecting on, Paul, on these past few Sundays, has been leading us through James. It's been fantastic. We've been responding to the issue that Christians are often better known for our politics and beliefs we defend rather than our character. We know that. But when we reflect on it now today, how much of that unfortunate reality we need to address comes down to how we stumble with our words. While we have the right impulse to proclaim Christ, to resist the evil of this world, how often do our careless and wicked speech cloud and actually undermine this objective? We see it on the news. We experience it in our own lives. When it comes to defending and proclaiming God's truth, how often do our words either reflect our cowardice in standing firm or our zeal turning into hatred? What our text teaches us, is that if our words are soft about our beliefs, if we give in to fear and cowardice, it will influence our convictions. If our words are consistently shaky and compromising, our convictions, our beliefs, our faith itself are likely to become shaky and compromising as well. On the other hand, if our words are lacking wisdom, absent of charity and without patience and understanding, how quickly will our faith empty itself of the love that ought to define it? That is the dangerous power of the tongue. It is a restless evil, as James says, working ceaselessly to draw us into spineless indifference or into senseless bigotry. So the encouragement is to be wise with your words. Words are powerful. Careless and wicked words can destroy relationships. Ungodly speech can destroy our own faith itself. We all stand on platforms from which our words can be great blessings, but equally can lead to great destruction. Be wise. Our last point. We're getting there. Our words reveal our heart. Be consistent. The reality is, I think the greatest, greatest dangers for Christians sitting here isn't simply our words being wicked and bringing destruction all the time. The tongue is a restless evil, it's wily, that's too obvious. Rather, the greatest danger I think we realistically face as Christians, and the point on which our text concludes, is the reality that our tongue can lead us into hypocrisy we fall into the trap of thinking that the blessing we bring with our words grants us leeway and makes up for and covers up the destruction we bring with our tongue. Verses 9 and 10 capture this reality. With it, the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, that same tongue, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. So again, be honest with yourself. Is this you? This is something I've been studying this text all week, so I've definitely had to wrestle with this. I'm not just asking you to, but let me ask you some questions. Are you here worshiping God on this Sunday morning? Are you giving it all, praising God's holy name? And then as soon as you sit in the car, is it time for gossip? Is it time to relish in all that juicy church drama? Do you start your day with devotions, praying to and praising God, and then as soon as you get to school, you're using foul language and making crude jokes with your friends? Are you at night, in your bed, on your phone, scrolling through social media, and as you do that, do you maybe leave nasty comments? Do you get into pointless fights just to them when you're all said and done, log off, turn over, and then thank God for the wonderful day? James says at the end of verse 10, right down to the end, let me read this in response to that. My brothers, these things ought not be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives? Or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Brothers and sisters sitting here, my encouragement from the text is be consistent with your words. The good you say doesn't make up for the bad you say. God hates hypocrisy. As the Apostle John says, if anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. If your heart is clean, if your faith is genuine, and if you truly know and love God, your tongue will be like a freshwater spring. It won't produce salt water. It will be like a fig tree. It produces figs, not olives. It will speak truth, standing firm. It will speak love, respecting God. It will bring order. It will promote goodness. Because, as Jesus says, from out of the abundance of the heart, The mouth speaks. Be consistent. In conclusion now, after saying all that, I want to circle back to a point. While I will not back down from any of the exhortations our text gave us this morning, especially where they speak to me in my own life, to be aware of the power of our words and platforms, to be intentional about using our tongue to bring blessing, to be wise about our speech not leading to destruction, to be consistent so as to not be a hypocrite, we also know what James said near the start. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is the perfect man. Brothers and sisters, When it comes to our powerful words, when it comes to our platforms, just like the Apostle James did, just like the Apostles Peter and Paul did, just like Moses did, just like Abraham did, we have all stumbled. That's a shared experience. And saints, saints sitting here, God's holy ones, sitting on this side of heaven, the reality is none of us are perfect. Not only have we stumbled, we will stumble. That's a reality. And while hearing this message at the end doesn't excuse our sin, it does call us to our need to constantly address it. None of us are perfect. As the Apostle John wrote, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But the good news is, there is one who is perfect. There is one who has not sinned. There is one who has and only will speak perfect and righteous words. You know who I'm talking about. Classic conclusion, I'm talking about Jesus, the Christ. And in those moments, when we do stumble with our words, when our words can and do bring destruction and condemnation, he has given us the words to say in response. God's word says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God's word says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. By our words, we will stumble. But God, through the person and work of Christ, has given us the words to say in response. By confessing our sins and professing faith in Jesus the Christ, we will be forgiven and saved. That's what God says. And his words are powerful beyond comprehension. Confess your sins, place and profess your faith in Christ, and know that those are the most powerful words you can ever say. They will shape your life, and they will bring great blessing to those around you. We all stumble in many ways, but because of Jesus Christ his perfect life and his atoning death, we might have hope, hope of forgiveness, hope of reconciliation, hope of victory and hope for tomorrow and every tomorrow to ever come. For these are the words of Jesus Christ. Listen to this. He who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, right for these words are faithful and true. Words are powerful. Make the most of your own, but at the end of the day, trust in Jesus's, for his words are faithful and true. Trust in his words and embrace the forgiveness and salvation he alone can provide. Let's pray. God, we thank you for bringing us together this morning, for allowing us to read your word through the Apostle James. God, we ask that as we reflect on the tongue and the danger it can bring, that we can be wise, that we might be intentional that we might be aware, and that we might be consistent. So that every day as we seek to honor you, as we seek to grow as your people, we might take note of our words. Be careful of what we say, that we might bring honor to your name, that we might bring blessing to those around us, and that we might bring peace and truth even to our own lives. But God, we know that here we stand, none of us perfect. We know that we have and will stumble. So we ask that in those moments that we as individuals and as a body can be consistent and constant in confessing our sins in professing our faith and embracing the love you freely gave through your son Jesus Christ on his cross. So God, we ask for your help. We ask for your blessing in Jesus' name.